0: i really enjoyed uh, Brenton's songs this morning, they've been really uh, in line with what the Lord's given me to speak about and it's uh, been really great. Today I want to talk about the parable of the growing seed. Come on. We've got the beginning up there. Okay. Um, the picture here is a place on the Sea of Galilee where they think that uh, Jesus spoke a lot of his parables. It apparently has marvellous acoustics and on a hillside there you could fit five to 7,000 people who could all hear someone who was in a boat just on the edge of the water down there. And um, so... We, we hear, Jesus, hear about Jesus speaking to thousands of people, like when he fed the 5,000, and you think, oh, how could he? they all hear? But apparently the acoustics are such there that you can, if everybody's quiet, of course, <laughs> hear what the person at the bottom of the hill is saying. So that's uh, an amazing um, thing. Imagine yourself among the crowd that's walking along the road towards this place. Jesus has just left Capernaum, Matthew says, and he went out and sat in a boat by the the water. But it's a noisy crowd walking along, people jostling, people wanting to touch Jesus to be healed, people pushing and shoving because they really want to get to touch Jesus so desperate and there's noise, there's kids everywhere running and shouting and doing what kids do. There's uh, people talking and calling out, parents trying to keep tabs on those children, and you're walking along on the edge of the crowd and then the Jesus goes down off the road and the people all start to follow down the hill towards the lake. And and suddenly things start to get quiet and you realise you can see Jesus is getting into a boat and you think "Oh, he's going to go, this is my last, you know, I'm not going to be able to hear him today. But then he turns around and he doesn't push off, he sits in the boat and talks and the voice carries up over the hill and the people realise that he's going to be teaching so they all sit down and uh, the hush falls over the crowd because they want to hear what he's got to say. And he starts, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And that's a picture they're all familiar with, the farmer sowing seed. So Mark chapter 4 begins with this picture. Jesus began to teach Brother Lake The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people along the shore stood and uh, sat along the shore and listened. He taught them many things by parables. So he began by telling the parable of the sower, the one we're all familiar with, the different types of soil, the good soil, the the hard soil, the soil with the... uh, uh, the weeds, and the soil that's shallow. And he ex- Jesus later explained to his disciples that uh, this, the word of God, the seed in this, in this parable, represents the word of God. And in his next parable, his emphasis is different. His next parable is called the parable of the growing seed. It's not about the soil, but about the seed. Jesus also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts a sickle to it, because the harvest has come. So what makes a seed grow? The uh, the word that's translated here all by itself is the Greek word "automatos," which we obviously get our word "automatic" from. It's it just happens how automatically a seed grows, and uh, so I did a little bit of scientific research as well <laughs> this week. Uh, So I chose a very simple uh, diagram to share with you. Uh, A seed has an outer cover or a seed coat to protect it until conditions are suitable for germination. Inside there's a little embryo and the endosperm which is the food for the embryo until it grows its own roots and shoots and can provide the food it needs. So... That's a nice simple diagram, but as I looked at the possible diagrams of a, of a seed, they varied from that simplicity right through to ones that had about 15 different um, explanations of all the different parts of the seed and uh, a whole lot of words that I had no idea I'd never heard of. <laughs> but modern-day science has studied what makes seeds germinate, and how they know which way is up how they know when to to uh, let the water in, and uh, all sorts of things. It seems that uh, Arabidopsis is a favourite plant for studying because it's pretty simple, has a short life cycle. They've even mapped its whole genome and studied in, it, in all its beautiful complexity. I had to look up what genome meant Apparently a genome is an organism's complete set of DNA. If the DNA code is a set of instructions that's carefully organized into paragraphs, they're called genes, and chapters, they're called chromosomes, then the entire manual from start to finish would be the genome. So they've worked out all of the bits of the Arabidopsis plant. Arabidopsis is a small flowering plant of the mustard family. And that tweaked my brain. I thought, Jesus used the mustard seed in the very next parable. Maybe he knew something that we haven't realised. Anyway, a 2017 study suggests that plant seeds use tiny brains to help them decide whether it's the right time to break dormancy. The seed's control centre, that's their little brain, processes information. They use bundles of specialised cells to produce home, to process hormone signals that tell them when is the prime time that they should sprout. Seeds need to balance two important factors when they're germinating. If they germinate too soon, it can be cold and they can freeze to death. Or if they germinate too late, then the earlier sprouting seeds will outcompete them. So the seed has two hormones, which uh, have fancy names, them ABA and GA, which sends the signal to stay dormant. So the ABA one sends the signal to stay dormant, and the GA one initiates germination. So they push and pull between those two hormones until they get just the right time to start growing. Some three to 4,000 cells make up an Arabidopsis seed. So the researchers catalogued these cells in an atlas to study this system. They then monitored where the two hormones were found within the seed. And it turns out that the hormones clustered in two sections of cells near the tip. A region the researchers proposed makes up this brain. The two clumps of cells produce the hormones which they send as signals between each other. When, when one clump is dominant, they, the seed stays dormant. When the other one is dominant, it's time to sprout. So they said this splitting of the command centre helps the seed to make more accurate decisions. They said it's like the difference between reading one critics review four times to decide if you want to go and see a movie, or reading four different critics' reviews. Getting information from more different places helps them to decide. So they also found a protein in the cells that senses the presence of water and triggers the the outer shell to respond and let that little bit of water in. So the article concluded with this observation. This latest study adds to the growing body of evidence that plant complexity has been underestimated in the past. (laughs) And as I was reading about seeds, I was struck again with the amazing design God's put into his creation. We can study seeds, store them in seed banks, experiment with them, etc. But we cannot make a living seed, even of the simplest kind. Only God can do that. Life is in the seed, not in the soil, not in the sower. The potential harvest is in the seed, not in the soil or in the sower. The sower has to sow, and the soil needs to be suitable. A plant needs water, air, and light, but life is in that little embryo. If you sow a seed that has no life in it, all the conditions can be perfect, but it won't grow. We sang this morning about the living word of God, and it's something we can't see with our natural eyes, that embryo of life in the word, but we know from experience that it's there. It's sprouted in our lives. Isaiah talks about the word of God as being like a seed as well. He starts off declaring that we don't understand how God works. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Then he goes on to declare that the seed of his word will produce fruit. The rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It's the same with my word, I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to and it will prosper everywhere I send it. Sometimes seeds grow in the most unlikely places. My next picture shows a couple of those unlikely places. Um, The picture with the tyres, I uh, got off the internet, but the other picture is a little loosened plant which is growing in Macclesfield, on the side of the main road in the bitumen. There's several of them there. It's been there for several years, and I don't understand how it can go through the hottest days in that bitumen. (laughs) and not frizzle up and how how it got there in the first place. It must have been some seed that got into a little crevice and somehow or another it gets enough water despite being in the middle of the bitumen. But that seed decided to grow even in the most unlikely place. And you can't tell when you scatter the seed of the womb whether it will germinate or not. Sometimes the environment looks totally unsuitable and it grows. Sometimes you think, oh, this is the someone who will respond. This is an environment and nothing comes of it. We have to trust God that he knows what he's doing. So, we all want to see the harvest and often one plants and another harvests. So we need to be sowing the Word of God in three different places in our lives, in our children, and in the parts of those around us. So we we'll start off with the Word of God in our own lives. When we read or listen to the Word of God, a lot of the time it doesn't seem to make much impact. It seems good at the time, but as soon as we move on to something else, it falls out of our heads. I've read that before, nothing new here. But remember, sometimes it takes a while. If you keep putting the Word of God into your life, it will be there in a crisis. Holy Spirit can germinate it at just the right time. (coughs) Jesus says, just before the parable that we were looking at today. Pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you'll be given, and you will receive even more. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. Of course, if we ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us through the word and meditate on it, we will find the seeds of life in it. will sprout into our day more often. To meditate on it means to think on it, to mumble it, to take it with you and ponder it. Sometimes a verse or a thought will jump out at me and I can take that and meditate on it. If I'm reading the Gospels or an Old Testament story, I find reading with imagination helps the word to impact me more. Reading with imagination is putting myself in the story a bit like I did this morning with with the people walking and listening to Jesus. Trying to picture the situation, how the people would have felt, what it would have been like to be there, the sounds, the smells, the emotions. Somehow this makes it stick much better and it comes alive. The message thread comes through more clearly. The second one we need to sow the word in the lives of our children and grandchildren. You hear story after story of how the word of God that was taught to a child was discarded as they got older. The Holy Spirit brought it back to their minds years later. In the days of the Russian Revolution, the Soviet state tried to stamp out Christianity and convert everyone to atheism. A popular Russian comedian developed a stage act in which he played a drunken Orthodox priest. Dressed in wine stained robes, he did a comic imitation of the ancient but beautiful liturgy. Part of his performance was to chant the Beatitudes but he used distorted words such as ''Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for vodka'', and ''Blessed are the cheesemakers'', while struggling to remain more or less upright. He had done his act time and again and been rewarded by the authorities for his work in promoting atheism and in making worship seem ridiculous. But on one occasion, things didn't go as planned. Instead of saying his garbled version of the Beatitudes in his well-rehearsed comic manner, he chanted the sentences as they are actually sung in a real liturgy. His attention was focused not on the audience, but on the life-giving words that were coming from the Bible, words he had learned and sung as a child. He listened to the memorised words, and something happened in the depths of his soul. After singing the final beatitude, he fell to his knees, weeping, and had to be led from the stage and never again parodied worship children 's author George Koshi, spent three years writing a children 's Bible, the first of its kind to be originated in any Indian language. he 's an Indian author and uh, He sent it off to the publisher, but the publisher rejected it. So Koshy filed the manuscript in his cupboard. Two years later, the same publisher decided to publish it. George opened the cupboard and discovered only shreds. Mice had eaten his manuscript. For the next two years, he worked day and night to recreate the manuscript because he was really passionate that children would be able to read about Jesus and read the Word of God. For Christmas in 2009, Samaritan's Purse distributed 58,000 copies of this Bible in Kerala, India. Samaritan's Purse distributes Bibles to the millions of boys and girls who participate in The Greatest Journey, their follow-up discipleship program for Operation Christmas Child's Shoebox recipients. That began in 2009. Every child who graduates from the 12 lesson course is given a Bible that includes the New Testament and selected Old Testament stories in their own language. This is often the first copy of God's Word the child or the family has ever owned. This current generation of children in Australia are not hearing about Jesus at all. When I, and probably most of you went to school, religious instruction at school was something that most children went to, even if uh, their church affiliation was um, non-existent to uh, any other, in any other respect. But today, unless a family of believers or the child goes to a faith-based school, where would they hear about Jesus? When is that tiny seed planted? We think about that comedian. I'm sure his childhood uh, changing of uh, Russian Orthodox liturgy hadn't meant much to him as a child. And yet that seed was planted and it came back. And the third thing is We need to sow the word in the hearts of those around us. Paul says, I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. But we we are both God's workers, and you are God's field. Paul planted seed wherever he went. He was called to travel and preach the gospel. Whereas Apollos was a Jew who was born in Egypt. He moved to Ephesus. He became a believer in Jesus at some point, and Acts records him as a cultured and eloquent man well-versed and mighty in the scriptures. He became a leader in the early church and helped establish the churches in Ephesus and Corinth. The watering Paul refers to here in this letter to the Corinthians is encouraging, teaching and strengthening of believers. Paul had planted these churches and left it to others to establish them while he continued on his mission to spread the gospel. Another type of watering that we might do is to water the seed with prayer. Uh, I think you've all uh, read Daryl's book and heard his story, but it just reminds me of that uh, story he tells of when he went to the home group in his sister's home and argued and challenged them and gave them all a hard time refusing to accept what they were presenting. And uh, they all went home, determined to pray for him that week. They made it a priority to pray for him all that week. To their surprise, he showed up the next week with quite a different attitude. God had been at work throughout that week, answering their prayers. He actually gave Darrell a vision of a demonic head that frightened the life out of him. Only when he chose to picture Jesus' nails go at hands, reaching out to him, as he'd heard in his religious instruction at primary school, did that head go away. And then he'd think, "Ah, I was just imagining it, it's all, all nonsense. And the head would come straight back. It wasn't until he surrendered to Jesus that he had enough peace to go back to sleep that night. God had, in fact, been working on him for a while, but from the outside, no one would have guessed. We don't know what's happening in the persons inner life. Planting a seed of the Word of God and following it up with the water of prayer is the way Jesus says the kingdom will grow. Even when I can't see it, he's working. This week, uh, Darryl all had opportunity uh, to share with the uh, podiatrist that he saw, and it was quite amazing. She he was really open and just said, "This." He was just telling her a little bit about his story and his book, and offered to give her a copy, and she said this has all come at just the right time I've really been thinking about spiritual life and spiritual things Um, and you think how did that happen (laughs) he just planted a little seed and God's already been working sometimes it takes a long time for that seed to germinate and we'd like it to happen straight away but that often doesn't happen that way Certainly not here in our Western society where affluence and education make us think that we can make it on our own and we don't need God, we don't need anybody to help. As Paul says to the Corinthians, it's God who makes the seed to grow. There's life in the Word of God. It's the living Word of God. It has that little embryo in it, that living Word. Bunting the word of God doesn't mean we have to quote chapter and verse. We simply need to talk about Jesus and what he means to us. We can share our testimony or the difference Jesus makes in our lives. Just because you put the word in your own words doesn't mean it doesn't have that seed of life. So the parable that Jesus was talking about, the parable of the growing seed, is that the life is in the seed. The farmer sows and gets on with his other work and it's God who makes the seed to grow. We can't force it. We can water it with prayer, but the miracle and the mystery is that the life is in the word. It's the living word of God. Even when I can't see it, he's working even when I don't feel that he's working. And we have that God's promise from Isaiah. It's the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to and it will prosper everywhere I send it. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the living word of God that you have given us. Thank you, Lord, that you are the word and yet you have put it into a book that we can read, we can feast on, that we can know you through your word. Help us, Lord, we pray, to keep sowing that word in our everyday lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.